expecting top performance levels from you today out of the Matango podcast. I'm just letting you know that right off the bat. Oh, good, good. And if you disappoint me, I'm pretty much not going to do anything. I'll just be like, oh, I quietly accept it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what life is, quietly accepting things, you know? This isn't a bi-monthly, we, we don't do it bi-monthly. We do it. No, we're not by single monthly. Yeah, yeah. No. Do, uh-huh. do most of our listeners even get that I'm gay? I don't even think they're getting the heads. <laughs> no, because we're not getting enough complaints. <laughs> uh, but uh, if they've made it this far, yeah, let's. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's fine. Uh, spoiler alert. I think. Well, I think we laid it on pretty thick in the first few episodes, and then. Whatever, that's fine. Yeah. Speaking of context clues, Spe- uh, speaking of, of of thick this plot mushrooms, mushrooms. fungus. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Uh, my name is Mike Kelly. I'm here with Nate Bear, and we are here today to talk about a film uh, known as Matango, aka Fungus of Terror. A.K.A. Curse of the Mushroom People, A.K.A. Attack of the Mushroom People. Now, this film doesn't feature a proper gigantic kaiju, per se. No, no. However, it is Toho, and it is Honda directing, and it's it's in 1963, so it's right in that core 
time period of of the you know the kaiju sort of heyday. And Super Ion special effects. Super Ion special effects produced by Tanaka. Um, and if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty and really kind of extrapolate it out to its fullest mm-hmm. to sort of tie it in with Godzilla, uh, the 1980s Nintendo video game Godzilla Monster of Monsters, mm-hmm. uh, the Matango were like the the Goombas or like the Koopa Troopas in that game. So it's mm-hmm. like to you know if it's like Mario Brothers, it's like it was they were, the Matangos were like the standard enemy mm-hmm. that Godzilla would come up to and like kick because mm-hmm. <laughs> they like came up to his you know they came up to his ankle or whatever <laughs> and they would shoot out like the little fungus guys up in the sky and they would kind of come down back and forth and and then they were really fucking annoying to to shoot mm-hmm. down. So technically, in some universe, in some interpretation of the canon, mm-hmm. Godzilla has fought the Matango. Yes. I, I realize it's the biggest stretch yet in the program to include this. but Sometimes it, stretching is a good thing. Sometimes stretching is a great thing. Also, I couldn't let this show pass without talking about Matango because it's, it's a film I discovered relatively later in my, uh, you know, uh, you know, a sort of kaiju Toho mm-hmm. obsession, but I really, really dig it, and I, I really dig how much of a departure it is in tone yes. from from really everything else mm-hmm. in the whole thing. I mean, there, there's other kaiju movies that obviously Gojira is very dark, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, obviously, like, Terra Mechagodzilla is extremely violent. Yes. Or whatever. But there's a different level to this movie. It's it's very layered. This, um, well, based on The Voice in the Night, 1907, by William Hope Hodgson, I found Matango itself, uh, the movie kind of falls along the lines of, uh, let's say in the Western tradition, like the romantic writers like Edgar Allan Poe, and then kind of like the later Gothic horror writers like H.P. Lovecraft. Um, And then from the Japanese tradition, we have uh, Ugetsu Monogatori, or The Tales of Moonlight and Rain, published in 1776 by, uh, I can't pronounce his name, uh, which was later (laughs) uh, uh, turned into a film, Ugetsu Monogatori, uh, by Kenji Mizuguchi. And uh, what these all have in common uh, between the the East and Western tradition is this idea that it's not so much that the monsters are scary or are going to just, you know, pop out, you know, and stab you. It's more the atmosphere Mm -hmm. that's disturbing. You know, much of Lovecraft and Poe and uh, Tales of Moonlight and Rain, you know, deal with um, unseen forces, things that, you know, just aren't right. Right. Um, there, there's a yeah. mood and a bleakness mm-hmm. to this movie. And I think that's the key word. It's like, it's, it's bleak, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, um, this movie and it says it several times, you know, the characters say yeah. it, it's, it's about how mankind is essentially a flawed, mm-hmm. uh, corrupt, you know, like society is like a rotten idea or like it's not like it it, it disintegrates yeah it's it's all about like all the different relationships between these characters Mm -hmm. 
and all of their, you know, foibles and things coming to the forefront and, and all of that disintegrating. And it is, a, and it is sort of a, a condemnation of uh, the nature of man. Yeah. Which is, you know, what, what kept me away from watching this movie for the longest time is that it was, one of the titles was Attack of the Mushroom People. And it's just like, this just sounds like the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my mm-hmm. life. But when you watch the movie, it really isn't about the, quote, mushroom people, unquote, at all. Yeah. It's, you know, this group of people were always going to destroy themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the the fungus on the island accelerates that, maybe makes it a little bit more horrific and mm-hmm. grotesque. But they were not doing well. Like, they were already uh, destroying yeah. <laughs> each other before things get proper, you know, crazy at the end. Yeah. Um, they were well on their way. Um, and this is one of the biggest, I think, character pieces of the, uh, I guess, Ishiro Honda oeuvre, at least of his monster films. And because it's so hard to find, like, his other more uh, human-centric films, like, you know, Farewell Rabul or... Um, uh, the Eagle of the Pacific, uh, or The Man Who Came to Port. Many of these films, like, you, you just can't find. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're lucky, someone will post a clip on YouTube, right. you know, that has no subtitles, and you just have to, like, enjoy it for cinematic beauty. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is a character film. Uh, and I think what's different is is that, you know, we really are not focused on the monsters almost at all in yeah. this film. That they just represent like a looming terror, but like even more subtly than even Godzilla. Because Godzilla is this massive, big threat that, you know, eventually everyone's forced to confront. Confront, exactly. And then this is something that people, you know, half the time they're just ignoring. Right. They're ignoring that there's a problem. In one scene, they straight up refuse to believe what everyone sees. Yes. And and, (laughs) and that you have a sort of uh, group denial Mm -hmm. uh of what it was just shown to the audience and all of these characters that is unprecedented in it's like if you're watching it for the first time uh it's a very confusing (laughs) uh cut because you're like what wait what is there there a resolution to that sequence we'll get into that a little bit later but you know i wanted to just hit upon like the level of bleakness in this movie, it reminds me of, like, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a movie uh, Lars von Trier did a couple years ago called Melancholia. Right. Where it's just sort of like you get this group of characters and you just kind of, you know, not necessarily you're whittling them down, but you really, again, uh, are letting them destroy themselves. There's a great uh, classic Twilight Zone episode called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, same exact thing, you know. The aliens take over the uh, the neighborhoods one neighborhood at a time simply by manipulating people's power and causing like a blackout and causing the people to sort of turn on one another. Yeah, and they because that's the most efficient way of destroying us is to let us destroy ourselves. And this is uh, very like violent for Mister Honda. You know, he uh, it, Except for, like, I, I'll have to say, like, maybe Godzilla vs. Mothra and, like, The Terror of Mechagodzilla, I'd say his most uh, violent film. I mean, there's some uh, pretty... At least there's some pretty, yeah, yeah. films. There, there's yeah. some pretty messed up stuff in the human vapor. Yeah. Um, but uh-huh. that's not... I wouldn't call that a kaiju movie, yeah. per se. That's I more mean, of, like, a ghost story or, like... Yeah. I mean, he's a mutant, but, like... 
and there is radioactivity involved, but... Well, not just, like, physical violence, but there's also sexual violence, uh, emotional violence. Domestic violence. Yes, like, a whole bunch of that uh, just going on here, and it's just, it's kind of uh, unsettling. Yeah. Uh, And I think that just goes with the overall tone of the film, you know, whereas in his other movies you have Godzilla's what's unsettling, or the Gargantuans, that's what's unsettling. Uh, And the characters are just sort of treading water and blandly going from point A to point B, whereas this really is these actors that you've seen go through. And there's a lot of, I mean, this is a lot of people who have been in a lot of Godzilla movies. Um, and they're giving really sort of gritty, uh, you know, human performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's anyone who says that, like, you know, the Honda couldn't direct horror or suspense or whatever, just watch Matango, okay? Yeah. Um, anyways, I feel as though we should probably move forward. <laughs> um, so it was... Uh, the, the, the production of, of the film, um, one of the key things is, you know, obviously mushrooms do play some part in mm-hmm. it and, um, they, the staff kind of, uh, the production staff, the special effects technicians, uh, were really puzzled as to how to, you know, make the mushrooms grow. Because in several scenes, there's sort of a rainy season mm-hmm. kind of settles in on this island. And uh, you can actually see the mushrooms grow. In several of the scenes, there's you can see actors in the same shot. And the mushrooms are like sort of growing yeah. and gorging. And they, they didn't know how to do that. And they were just going to use uh, like candy, like, you know, sugar and like mix it together. Like mm-hmm. you'd make cotton candy or like a marshmallow or something. But, it, you know, it didn't really work that well. And it was kind of hard to control. So the special effects uh, supervisor uh, went to some outside uh, sources and he ended up getting this bizarre sort of chemical runoff that was made in the refining of petroleum. Oh, <laughs> um, and he found that like if he mixed this two these two certain chemicals together, it would create essentially this these mushroom shapes. And mm-hmm. he he found that like by putting them in a certain type of can, the can was like more narrow at the top than at the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, and mixing up an amount of this, you could get the mushrooms to kind of like form basically like mm-hmm. it would be it would make that mushroom tip at the top and mm-hmm. it would push out and you could get exactly what you wanted and it was like in camera you know and it was like it was really happening and this was one of the first uses of this chemical which came to be known as styrofoam oh. so this is like the or secret origin of styrofoam <laughs> it was on the set of Matango. um also you know i i there, there's a lot of use of heavy latex makeup appliances in this mm-hmm. movie. I would say that, amongst other things, this film could be entered into the genre of body horror uh, because it is, especially towards the end, you do get to see some of the main characters' faces and mm-hmm. arms and legs uh, sort of decaying and and turning into fungus. And, and it's um, very horrific. It's very upsetting. And it's like, you know, kind of... Uh foreshadowing you know like the the body horror of the 80s like uh, tetsuo the iron man and right you know i mean akira i i don't think it's outside of you know plausibility that maybe a 
seven or eight year old Dave, little Davy Cronenberg saw a copy of this on TV mm-hmm. in Canada growing up, you know, and uh, and then went on to make, you know, the whole first half of his career or mm-hmm. like two thirds of it has been, you know, in the in the genre of, of body horror. Of course, yeah. made films such as The Fly and Scanners and other great. Uh, amazing. He, he basically owns the genre. Yeah. Um, but like, there's and a, Jeff Goldblum and Jeff Goldblum. But there's like, you know, the 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 mushroom people themselves um, are really horrific mm-hmm. and uh, really well done and still upsetting to look at to yeah. this day. Because it is, you know, there's a thing that's like fungus. You see that in nature, yeah. and you can, you know. That's that's like a real thing. So you can somehow relate that. So if you see someone with like half of their face has just become fungus, yeah. that's upsetting. Yeah. You know? And there are people who uh, ha- develop, you know, oh, in, yes. in places like uh, I think the Philippines, and I'm sure actually all over the world, but there have been you know people who have, you know, get uh, odd like birth defects. Yeah. And it creates like tree-like... Um, you know, a bark-like skin or, you know, mushroom-like uh, skin, you know, like tumors and stuff like that, yeah. you know. So uh, as horrifying as this is, you know, there are people who have, like, right. through, you know, nature, have gone through um, transformations similar to this. And that... Not as extreme. Right, no, but you're hitting upon a key element here, and that is, like, you know, with body horror, it's like... There, there's an inherent fear for mm-hmm. everyone that at some point something's going to happen to your body, like it's going to change in some way, it's going to rot in some way, because mm-hmm. we all know eventually we're going to die. Yeah. But like, so we're like, you know, how is that going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a very baseline, almost subliminal fear that, you know, this, the, you know, this film taps into that yeah. and a bunch of other things, very layered uh, production. I will say. Well, I'll, I'll go into the makeup uh, a little bit into into more detail once we've discussed the plot. But uh, they had some interesting challenges uh, on their plate. But uh, the cast was a lot of um, you know a lot of the the, the regulars. You've got Akira Kubo uh, as uh, Kenji, who is like the, essentially the main character. He's, mm-hmm. He is the narrator. And it's revealed to us in the first scene that that he really is, uh, to our understanding of of human life, uh, the sole survivor. Uh, So he's, you know, you know, no matter what happens, things are going to get pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Also, the very welcome return of, you know, kaiju fandom, uh, you know, queen of the screen, Kumi Muzano, is Mm -hmm. back uh, as the sort of... Uh, femme, fatale. Femme, femme fatale slash just sort of you know you know they're all, they're all sort of victims and villains in this movie, but she's um, she plays an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you know you you can break everything down in terms of, of Gilligan's Island. Uh, um, you know, with the ex- with the exception of Akira Kubo, but like all the other sort of. Uh, parts are are filled. So you've got the skipper. You've got the skipper, who is Hiroshi uh, Kazumi, who is the scientist in um, Mothra versus Godzilla and and Ghidra, the three headed monster. And if you watch the voiceover version, uh, which was done by uh, you know the International Pictures Department, uh, the naval British. Uh, 
officer and voiceover for Run Run Shaw extraordinaire Ted Thomas. Uh, it's very recognizable. It's mm-hmm. Ted Thomas's voice, and of course, Ted Thomas did the voice of Antonio for Godzilla vs. Megalon. Mm-hmm. He is back uh, as uh, as Hiroshi's uh, character, who is who is the skipper. Kenji Sahara is the first mate. Uh, Senzo Koyama, who at times is sympathetic and at times is uh, you know very villainous, um, and and ultimately you know has a, a very sort of out of nowhere tragic fate. Um, you've got the the writer uh, Yoshida, who's played by Hiroshi uh, Tekigawa. And then last but not least is uh, Miki Yashiro, who plays uh, Akio Soma. Now, I, I checked. She, she really didn't have that many roles in other kaiju films, but she does have a very brief and very memorable role in Mothra vs. Godzilla as the school teacher who was stranded on the island at the end that oh. the reporters have to go and save. And that was uh, the year later, 1963. Mm-hmm. So she sort of had a kind of a run there for a while. But she's uh, she's good. She sort of represents kind of the, uh, <clears throat> the Mary Ann to uh, Kumi Muzano's ginger. Mm-hmm. in this uh so she's very kind of pure and innocent she's a, she's like a college student but she's like a japanese college student from the 1960s okay mm-hmm. so like very you know she'll she'll quietly wait for her boyfriend to put on a necklace and then everyone will kind of clap for her you know mm-hmm. that's that sort of thing yes, you know so. just extremely quiet very reserved definitely not uh along with her you know son tribe uh, new Baru Bagu. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. young young people, uh, <laughs> friends, uh, just uh, uh, refinement. Um, oh, you know, I didn't write down who did the music, but he did a really great job. <laughs> so lazy, <laughs> so lazy. Yeah. We'll f- we'll figure that out, and we'll, we'll get that information back to you later on. <laughs> Let's get funky with the with the fungus. Let's talk about Matango. The beginning of the film is is interesting because you you know you see Akira Kobu kind of like being like if I would have known what was coming you know yeah 
I would have whatever killed myself or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like super dark and mm-hmm. like you know he's in an insane asylum, obviously like in the middle of Tokyo, and he's like from behind bars or yeah. all this stuff. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. And then it just boom, hard cut to like this sailboat and everything's like, do, 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 do. and it's just like everyone's like super happy and like you got these like cartoon <laughs> sails that are painted onto the screen with the titles or whatever mm-hmm. and it's very yeah has nothing to do with the rest of the movie and it's yeah. just like when you you know when you've seen the movie a couple of times you're like oh okay i get it the rest of the movie is so unrelentingly bleak yeah that these first couple of scenes you have to have a little bit of 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 light in yeah there, which but to know, contrast to contrast if, if for nothing else just to contrast so that you know kind of explains what's going on and and you do have this whole title sequence. And then immediately, uh, one of the first things that happens is uh, Kumi Muzuno is, is, you know, who is this very uh, sort of bombshell. She's in this very kind of attractive uh, swimsuit. It's a two-piece swimsuit. It's not mm-hmm. quite a bikini. Uh, and she's got her sun hat. She's talking to this guy who's got like a manuscript who we find out is a television writer. Mm-hmm. And um, he, she like, like, I don't know hits him or like she just does something to him like surprise him makes him like lift up his body or whatever but he's like pinning his manuscript down and like a gust of wind blows like i'm gonna say most of this manuscript yeah into the ocean and the writer seems completely unfazed by this he's like oh well that was gonna be one of my best books but yeah you know what here's the you know here's the christmas it was whatever. the 60s he exactly could, you know do that <laughs> So I guess it was very easy. Maybe he remembered all of it, you know, he's going to write it all again or whatever. But that part was just like, I mean, I know you guys are laid back, but are they like super high or something? I mean, are they like... Maybe it's a metaphor for how Toho treats its writing staff. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Just write more. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you you kind of... The characters are, are sort of introduced and... Kumi Muzuno picks up a sort of ukulele mm-hmm. and she like serenades everybody with this song and the the music comes from goes from being diegetic to um just part of the soundtrack cuz she yeah. puts down the ukulele after like you know one verse <laughs> yeah. and like but you can still hear the, the ukulele music. being yeah. played so <laughs> it's one of those type <laughs> things where like the first time you're watching it, like this is a mistake why yeah. am i watching this uh but then you know things get um, pretty great. They go downstairs into the into the I don't know what you call it the galley or whatever, and they have this this dinner, and um, they're like they have a toast and they're like to the you know to this group of us. We're here. We're away from the rest of Japan. Japan is terrible. You know, like they're all. It's isn't it great to be away from all the disgusting you know animals in society but you know we are all pure of heart Mm -hmm. and you know nothing's gonna stop us now blah 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 aren't we great and so immediately when you see that scene you're like oh these people are all gonna be killing each other yeah in the movie because uh once you have like someone like basically bring out dispel the theme right. of the film in the dialogue it's like oh yeah yeah, th- yeah. Th- that's exactly what's not going to happen <laughs> it's funny because immediate almost immediately after that or i think maybe before that the storm hits well before that like you have the skipper talking to this first mate mm-hmm. uh who's who's kenji sahara who played torahata in, in moth reverses godzilla 
And uh, actually, both these guys are co-stars from, from Mothra vs. Yeah. Godzilla, which had yet to be filmed. But, like, the point is, Skipper and the first mate are talking to each other, and they're like, these guys are all assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're just a bunch of spoiled children. Like, yeah. the professor guy is rich. Yeah. That's why they're here. They shouldn't be out of the sea. You know, they're spoiled children. Yeah. You know, try not to have them fuck things up too much. Yeah. And, you know, that's it, you know. And 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 it's it's made very clear that like they don't respect yeah any uh, of the passengers of the ship or the, the or the <laughs> they, they later can... the skipper right. I mean there's basically um, as the storm starts to brew uh, ba- basically a foreshadowing of uh, the '70s film The Poseidon Adventure comes up where money. Uh, and power like overtakes the the captain and you know logic right where because if you haven't seen the Poseidon Adventure uh, uh what's his name uh L- Leslie Nielsen Leslie Nielsen uh plays the uh skipper <laughs> no plays the captain of the SS Poseidon a big luxury cruiser uh and during the middle of a storm uh, he's told by like basically the financier that you know all right, you have to make this thing, you know, get to Greece within, you know, 48 hours, so I want you to, you know, make it go full speed, and if you don't, I'm going to just fire you and replace you with, you know, one of the other crew members, you know, which goes against the common sense that the captain knows, uh, you know, being the the captain of a ship. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, naturally, of course, there's a disaster uh, and an adventure of getting out of the ship. Uh, Differently in, uh, or similarly, in Matango, we have you know, the rich uh, man telling the skipper, all right, well, uh, I want you to ignore your nautical knowledge and uh, just do things my way. Uh, basically declaring himself the skipper of right. the ship. Of taking, he, yeah, taking responsibility yeah. for guiding the ship. Which he knows nothing uh, Which he knows nothing about until <laughs> things go to shit two seasons yes. later. And then he's just like, oh, wait, no, you're, you're in command now. Yeah. And, it's all your, and it's all your fault. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, exactly. The worst possible thing happens there, you know, the, uh, they sail into a storm under the order of the professor who's like, you know, an asshole. Mm-hmm. And he uh, forces the skipper to sail into it and the mast breaks. Mm-hmm. The uh, the radio uh, shorts out. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that they could use to communicate with yeah. uh, shorts out. Um, and the engine uh, is destroyed. So they are in a rough spot now. They're yeah. in a tough spot now. And things start to sort of unravel a little mm-hmm. Bit uh, Yoshida, who is the writer, uh, is is sort of caught up during the storm, and he's kind of wounded. And this is the first time someone has to be rescued in the movie. He's tied up in like these ropes on on top of the ship, and mm-hmm. they bring him down into the into the galley. And um, you know he's he's there, and uh, the people start to look around, and they're like, you know, it starts to hit them that oh wait a minute, this is serious. And yeah. the next day. They're they're sort of all sort of sitting there trying to conserve food or whatever. Kumi Mizuno tries to like lighten the mood by turning on the radio, turning on some dance music or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's immediately like the skipper comes in. He's like, "What are you doing, you idiot? We have to conserve the battery power. We could be out here for weeks, mm-hmm. you know." And he immediately he's like he's like turn it off or whatever, and we have to wait till the news comes on. And she's like, well, the news is on right now. And he's like, okay, he turns it back on, turns it to the news. Of course, they are talking about yes. the ship <laughs> that has gone missing. 
And uh, so it's like, uh, that's not good. They all, you know, you get that scene where they're all sort of looking at each other, being like the the gravity of the situation mm-hmm. is like, oh, we, we're like lost. Yeah. You know, like there's their search crews looking for us, but they can't find us, you mm-hmm. know. And as the news report's going on, the batteries die on the radio anyways. And yeah. I'm like, you know, it seems kind of strange that the radio would die after one day. I mean, I don't know what the batteries are, but that seems, uh, well, whatever. But anyways, they're cut off. And, um, you know, things start to go bad. Yoshida is put up on, uh, he, he, he gets better and he, uh, from his like being tied up in the ropes or whatever. And he is put up on like lookout duty just in case he spots any ships. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what we get in this next sequence is, uh, uh, it's a hallucination. It's also an excellent, uh, usage of uh, Toho's newly acquired uh, frontal screen projection technique, mm-hmm. which utilized uh, very large amounts of Scotch-Brite uh, fabric. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what it was essentially was uh, you would... And this was used in order to get like a perfect mat in situations where you've got the whole, you know, five or six actors and this mm-hmm. yacht or whatever, but you don't actually want to be out on the sea. What you do is you get this giant Scotch-Brite uh, screen... And then you project the image of the ocean uh, in front of the camera or whatever, but between the ship and the camera, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to before, like in King Kong or whatever, it'd be done from the back. So you'd have the projector projecting it onto the screen Mm -hmm. and and then the camera, or sorry, and then like the boat and then the camera. But this new technique, essentially, you you don't have to keep all of that in mind. What's important is... It makes for a crisper image. That's yes. It. Okay, and when you do when you're filming something on a ship, uh, where you got a lot of like lines and ropes and things like that, this is like essential at that point. You mm-hmm. know? So uh, it works pretty well. There's some scenes in the beginning where it looks like there's a storm in some of the wide shots where like the background's kind of flashing or whatever. And I thought maybe that's just because they hadn't like the technology was so new that they hadn't maybe calibrated it correctly yet or whatever. But for the rest of it, it, it works very well. And especially in Yoshida's dream sequence, it looks great. It, it works really well. Essentially what happens is Yoshida is looking at, you know, it's, it's the nighttime. There's mm-hmm. this weird fog and he kind of sees this ocean liner. It looks like a giant oil tanker mm-hmm. uh, coming up. And he, at first he's screaming. He's like, yeah, over here, over here. And the ship is indeed heading directly for him. But then it looks like it's going to just plow into the ship. Yeah. And you get this very striking image of the ship just heading into their very small uh, hobbled uh, yacht. And it was all achieved in camera. Mm-hmm. And it looks amazing. And um, right at the moment, of course, when the when this uh, enormous, you know, monolith-like ship is going to collide, he sort of like passes out, and then you know the skipper and uh, Kenji Sahara come up and then wake him up and say, "Oh no, it was a dream. You know, you got to wake up or whatever." And this, I think, for me, kind of foreshadows the rest of the film, where it's like questioning what you see, right? What you feel, uh, and we'll get into that later. But that just seems to be a motif of the film. It's just like, did we see what we thought we saw? Right. Is any of this... Is any of this happening? Yeah. You know, like, are they? have they just gone crazy? Yeah. Um, so, they the next day, they go through this very thick sort of pea-green-yellow fog. Yeah. 
and uh, they find uh, an island. And mm-hmm. once you know it, Toho commissioned a new map painting of an island that isn't the same goddamn fucking island <laughs> that is a map painting that is used in every other kaiju movie. That's yeah, a pretty good. It's a, it's map a, painting. it's actually a separate one. So mm-hmm. they they made they were actually had money on yeah. this production and uh, the early sixties. It looks like sort of a smallish island, you know, smaller than the one even from like Lost, mm-hmm. um, you know, but big enough, bigger than the island from like say. You know, Castaway or something. Yes, much bigger than Castaway. Uh, so there's some mountains, there's some dunes, and there's there's a few things. But uh, essentially, they land on the island, and uh, they walk around for a while, find trying water. to find food. They find water, and that was a big concern because they were running out of water. And like kind of the first of like the eeriness of the area comes in when they notice that around the pools of water there were rocks placed. Yeah, and they looked purposeful. Yeah. You know, so someone must have been here. Yes. At and, some point, someone yeah. was on this, this island. island. Um, to go in more to the to the atmosphere, yeah, again, I mentioned this, this weird fog, and that doesn't just die when they get on shore. There is mm-hmm. this funk that is over the surface of the whole island, and really the whole movie. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's this, uh, this smoke, this fog effect, uh, which was achieved... Um, by a sort of state-of-the-art uh, piece of machinery called the Oxbury uh, Optical Printer. Mm-hmm. And there was only two of these in the world at the time. Toho had one of them, Disney had the other one. And we, I think I've mentioned this before because they used it on some other films, but uh, Disney, like, they would used it for, like, Mary Poppins for when they digitally inserted Dick Van Dyke and... Uh, you know, Julie Andrews into the, the penguin dancing sequence mm-hmm. or whatever. But like they were the only two people that, you know, or they, they were, you know, Toho and Disney were the only ones using this technology mm-hmm. uh, at the time. So again, another fuck you to anyone who says that the movies have, these movies have shitty special effects, yeah. you know, cause this is the same technology they used on return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, these, these optical printers were capable of printing up to seven layers at a time. So what you get is are these very complex images of these different layers of this fog throughout the island. And so you'll see a patch of it a mile away that's very thick. And then you'll there'll be another one that's kind of going over the screen that's very thin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yes, uh, very cool and essential to this film. And it would have been impossible to do if not for this Oxbury uh, optical printer. Um, but anyways, they find this, sorry, they find a dune in the middle of the island They climb up to the top of it and they spot a bit of the shoreline that was previously hidden and they see a wrecked, uh, vessel, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, maybe there could be something there. So they go and investigate that. And that's really where the rest, almost all of the rest of the movie takes place is aboard this derelict ship that looks like something out of Resident Evil 4. Um, it's rusted and it looks like it's been there for several years. The sails are rotten. Mm -hmm. Um, they go aboard and it's some sort of a research vessel, uh, for nuclear, a nuclear uh, vessel, a nuclear vessel. Vessel? (laughs) Uh, and it's, it's specifically, they're researching abnormalities and mutations. They find a uh, tortoise that doesn't have any eyes. They find this cabinet full of uh of of mutant things or mm-hmm. whatever and they they later say that like they can't 
determine its nationality. Yeah. Because they find stuff from the Eastern Bloc and from the uh, free world countries. And uh, so it's uh, a mixture. Yeah. So they can determine what they were looking for, but not really why, what was the motive. And everything except for the uh, creatures and uh, experimental equipment is covered in a thick, thick layer Very thick. Of, uh, fungus. Yeah. Yeah, like disgusting. Like, yeah. like you know, would kill you, you know, if you breathe it in for very yeah. long. And kind of reminds me of, uh, like, uh, uh, the, the, I don't remember if uh, Spielberg did this in the, the movie, but I know in the book War of the Worlds, uh, when the Martians come in, like, this kind of, like, red stuff just starts growing. Yeah. All around, yes. like, England. Yes, yes, You know, it yes. spreads. And this yes, is the blood. Of, yeah. The blood vines, the blood, you know, plants, yeah. or whatever. So. Uh, similar stuff. There's there's some some things they find aboard that are very concerning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the women are sort of looking and exploring a different part of the ship by themselves. And they find uh, a sink and uh, in, in a washroom where the mirror has been removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Um, also, uh, they stumble onto the captain's cabin, which mm-hmm. has this like just crazy amount of, of red fungus growing on it. And they find a crate that has the word Matango yeah. uh, written on it. And it's got, wouldn't you know it, a gigantic mushroom in it. And by gigantic, I mean you know the size of uh, a fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. Or possibly a fire hydrant, you know, yeah. about about that big, but still freakishly big, and uh, and thick. Too. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah, and and it's it's this uh, mushroom that um, the the you know the skipper and Ken, uh, Kenji Sahara are about to eat when they hear the screams of of Kumi Musa mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and her companion because they that is when they, they they discover the captain's cabin. They find the captain's log. They read it. And they're like, oh, yeah, don't eat the mushrooms because it drives you crazy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we sent out people looking for food near the mushrooms every day and they never came back, basically. So, like, it doesn't look great because, yeah. like, the, the people who crashed, crashed the ship died on this island. They don't yeah. find any bodies necessarily. But this scene is very reminiscent. I've, I've felt like I'd seen it before in, in the, you know, the scene from The Thing. Mm-hmm. Where they find the Norwegian camp. Yes, and and you're you're just sort of stumbling on like what you know something obviously obviously went horribly wrong here you know, but anyways their yacht is trashed so they decide to live on the ship mm-hmm. and and uh, they clean it up they luckily they find a whole bunch of barrels of, like sulfuric acid or something and uh, they like wipe down everything mm-hmm. somehow not burning their hands off. And uh, they, they find food. They find food. Canned well, the well, food. Yoshida yeah. finds a store of, of, of canned food and st- sardines and like spam and stuff. And two spoonfuls of pure cane sugar. So they have, you know, they have enough food. So the immediate problem, they're not going to starve to death like for a, at least a few days. So they mm. can kind of get their bearings. From here, essentially the plot moves into them exploring the island. Mm-hmm. In, in, in different ways. And um, also, kind of, I, I guess maybe like, I've never read Lord of the Flies, but this seems to be like, kind of in that vein where the idea of like, okay, now that we're separated from the rest of civilization, 
How do we get back? How do we, you know, who's really in charge? Is the skipper in charge? Right. Is the, is the professor, the professor in, charge? in charge? The you professor, know, who, you know, they all, everyone except the professor lives in like the bunked court of quarters, like yeah. all in the same room. And the professor just sort of picks a cabin and just lives there separately by himself with his rifle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so it's, and everyone sort of resents that. He doesn't really work for his food. Yeah. And he he doesn't expect to. He's just like, oh, yeah, this is the same thing as it would be if we were all back in Japan. Like, you guys work for me and whatever. Yeah. You know? um, and there's there's a lot of scenes uh, like that. At one point, Yoshida, you know, is discovered hoarding food. And they basically... They don't tie him up, but they he's like shamed, and they they force him. They put him on smoke signal duty, mm-hmm. and it, he, he's he's up on the top of a peak, and he's you know maintaining one of these fires. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's here he has a flashback of uh, you know a night in in Tokyo at a nightclub, mm-hmm. and you have really all the characters. You see Yoshida working on a script for a new TV show. Mm-hmm. And you see the skipper and the professor talking about, you know, finalizing plans mm-hmm. for the um, for the cruise. You have a, a, a singer in the background who may or may not be Kumi Muzano, uh singing a song, you know, up I on stage. I think it is her. At the end of the scene, you have Akira Kobu and uh, Miki Yashiri uh, walking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he puts on the necklace and he's like, and she's... You know, they all clap or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, she's decided to come along. So she'll be the final member of our voyage. Ah, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. And they all laugh. And they're like, isn't it good to be in modern day 19... 1963 <laughs> Tokyo, you know, enjoying all these creature comforts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to Yoshida, just up alone on this rock. Just like, you know, just kind of thinking about whatever. Um... But it's even even this flashback, when it's supposed to be happier times, it doesn't. They don't really seem that happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all sort of, you know, still playing their parts and all kind of still looking out for each other. And um, you know, it's it's a very interesting you know scene because it's sort of like it really kind of gets into who these people were before any of this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really your only kind of image of them back in in some sort of way in their in their real lives Mm. and they were still shit people then yeah (laughs) so like (laughs) kasai the professor Mm. uh and and akira kobo are on a different part of the island and they're hunting and they find the mirrors Mm -hmm. and they've been smashed yeah so the mirrors were taken out of the ship and destroyed at a different part of the island uh, that's not a good sign. No. Whenever you get to the point where you can't look at yourself in a mirror to the extent where you have to destroy all the mirrors, hmm, something bad probably went down in yeah. that, on that ship. And then they look up and they see birds and like, all right, you know, here we go. We yeah. can shoot one of these birds and that'll be food or whatever. But the bird flies away and they're pretty sure it's not because of them. Right. Because the birds don't, shot. yeah, he, the, they are concealed. Yeah. They are hidden. So what this means is that the birds instinctively know to avoid the island. Like the bird is out at sea and it's going to come in and then it just turns around and flies away before it even lands on the island. That is a horrible sign. (laughs) You know, when nature is like... 
and this goes guarding back, itself from yeah, this place. You the, know, something unholy is happening here. And this goes back to like the Romantic and Gothic traditions. You know, there's something is not quite right. You can't quite put your finger on it, but something just isn't right. Something yeah. unnatural, or maybe too natural. Yeah, you know, as in many cases. Um, it's uh, it's at this point where they think they see something moving in the woods. Yes, and they shoot at it. Which is kind of stupid, because it yeah. could have been one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they shoot at it anyways, and this is our first possible unconfirmed uh, sighting of, of a Matango. Um, and they see kind of like bits of like mushroom, but they I don't think they even know what it is. We kind right. of, as the audience, put kind, two and two yeah, together, yeah. but I don't, I don't think they, uh, as the characters, like really grasp what we have probably put together already. Yeah. Um, so things sort of continue to sort of slide downhill for the group. Um, we see a scene where uh, Kenji Sahara sort of wakes up in the middle of the night and is going to steal, steal some food in this uh, locker area. Uh, it's really a doorway to a different a lower sub-level in yeah. the ship. Uh, but there's been a lock placed on the door. So... You know, he can't do it, basically. He can't steal from everyone, as he was planning on doing. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> darn it. Darn it. <laughs> Akio uh, looks out the window, the uh, the, the college student, yeah, Akio, the, looks the quiet, out the window. The quiet yeah. girl yeah. sees. And it's just out of nowhere. It's yeah. not, you know, there's no noises or anything. She's just sort of like talking to Kumi Muzano about whatever, and she just looks out the window, and all of a sudden in the window is this face that's just like this mutated Red, red, bulging thing. It looks you John Merrick. Yeah, yeah. It's it. Yeah, he looks like the Elephant Man, sort of. And um, it's very upsetting. And uh, they they kind of run to the other part of the ship where all the men are, and um, they're like, th this thing is slowly kind of stalking them down the hallway, mm -hmm. and um, you know, uh, Kirikobu sees it, and they kind of. Uh, store themselves up into the the main room with where everyone mm -hmm. is sleeping, and uh, everyone's woken up by now. And then this thing, this uh, which looks like I'm going to say one of the uh, clickers from The Last of Us, basically sort of rotten clothes, mm -hmm. and uh, but still humanoid enough that it still has remnants of clothing, and uh, sort of just basically like a zombie. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it kind of comes around the corner and it, it makes a noise. It moans, it goes, and then it fades away to breakfast and it fades. Yeah. Like it fades away, but the background is still there. Yeah. Like it fades away like a ghost. Yeah. And then it fades out and yeah. then it fades back into everyone having breakfast and just like, I ignoring. almost expected, like, the Mushroom Man to be, like, at breakfast with them. Be like, oh, yeah, his name is Joe. He's really friendly. I'm <laughs> yeah. so glad he came here last right, night right. to let us know where, like, all the good food was stored on the island. Uh, there's, like, a whole pack of deer over here, and there's, like, non-poisonous vegetables over here. But it's like, no, they just, <laughs> they're eating breakfast. Yeah. Um, um, Kenji Sahara brings up the fact that they saw this thing, and no one's talking about it. Um, so at least it confirms to the audience that that did happen. Yes. But it is very unclear as to maybe it just went away or whatever. They're saying that maybe it was a ghost and mm -hmm. they all saw it or they're hallucinating. 
we don't know um and that's that is one of the things that is is very confusing about this movie that scene i, I wish there would have been some resolution to it because it does seem like sort of a cheat or just kind of lazy that's just like yeah, yeah. I guess maybe he's there, maybe he's not. I don't know. But I think that could be just a culture clash thing where it's like, maybe it is a ghost. You know? Yeah. Who knows? It could it could just be a haunted island, you know? Yeah. In addition to the Matango, there could just and be like ghosts. And like I said, it's not like the Matango are really trying to eat them. Because it's not like, if this was a zombie film and this happened, that wouldn't make sense. But this is more like, come join us. Right. You want to be with us this right. is like a seduction yes you know um uh, yeah, so it's really about you know being seduced by the mushrooms because the mushrooms like really can't they, do anything it, yeah yeah they can just you know they can hug them to death yeah. i guess <laughs> but um it, it's really just like how long yeah last, yeah exactly you, know, you can't hold out for it exactly so you into know? that you can feed so much stuff whether it's the lust for power the lust for sex the greed yeah. for for whatever which you know? all the characters in some way yeah. or another want yeah you Everyone know. wants to rape Kumi Musume. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and that seems to be the only thing that like the, most of the characters talk about for about you know fifty percent of this movie. Yeah. It's just like you know what the reason the reason why everything's going to shit around here it's because of her. She's causing trouble. You know I'm gonna take her tonight into my room and you know I'm gonna make her pay. And, like characters yeah. just start saying this crazy and, shit. And this isn't a, a Shiro Honda Toho monster film. Yeah, like there's been implied sexual violence. And like uh, y- you know, misogyny right. in many of these films, but this is like the most like cruel and right, ugly. Right. Now, I mean, there is a scene where Kenji Sahara outright says everything I just said. You yeah, know, he says you're the problem. I'm going to essentially rape you tonight. Yeah, and then he and then he says like he says that to her in front of everybody mm-hmm. at this breakfast. And he looks around at all of them, and the camera pans and, and, you know, stops on each character to see if anyone says anything like, you know, you can't do that, Stop, like, you're crazy, you can't say this thing or whatever, and no one does anything. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you're watching this, you're like, oh, shit, like, 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 like <laughs> things, things have gotten really bad, you know, really quickly. And then, you know, Kichi Sahara, like... He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. He like, he like grabs her like he's gonna do it right then, and finally, Akira Kobu snaps and he grabs the rifle like he's gonna, you know, shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, uh, Kenji Sahara pulls out this like really long knife, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the skipper. That's just a spoon. Yeah, this, this, <laughs> I've seen you play knife a spoony before. The skipper finally interjects before they literally start killing each other. Yeah. And Kimi Muzuno kind of like walks out, sashays out of the room and kind of sits back down and, and talks to the other girl. And she's like, they're all fighting for me. Like, she's happy about yes. this. And you that's know? just like, like the this, is the, this, this is the environment where she is like, she has the most power mm-hmm. over them, even though it's, a, it's incredibly unstable uh, power that could, you know, threatens to destroy her yeah. and the rest of them. Uh, she's happy about this, mm-hmm. you know, which... Brings a whole different level to it. You yeah, know? like the, the the levels of like you know metaphors you can go into, uh, political, social, whatever you right. know that just like layers upon layers of character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in this, um, it's really crazy. So then, um, the writer goes proper insane. He grabs the rifle and he just starts muttering about insane stuff and he threatens to just yeah. kill all mm-hmm. of them. 
and uh, he basically he he convinces Kumi Muzano, who I they imply that they've been having sex the whole time yeah. on the sneak. I don't know why they would, you know, sneak. Although Kumi Muzano is sort of betrothed to the professor guy, so yeah, it's sort of a betrayal of him that she's with the writer, but. You know, it's he, not he, like he, he loves she, money. More. <laughs> she, she tells him to his face. She's like, I was using you. You know, we're yeah. probably going to die. I was using you for your money I and to travel yeah. to different countries specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why, you know, I, I think you're disgusting and repulsive. <laughs> so, like, she's together with the writer. So, essentially, they are out, uh, like, like taking all of the food mm-hmm. and, um, like, going into the island um like it's they're they're leaving the ship or whatever and um the writer is gonna he looks like he's gonna kidnap the other girl as well and um and the professor and uh and then um kenji sahara sort of shows up out of nowhere he like walks up the ramp onto the ship because they're on the deck of the Mm -hmm. ship and it surprises the writer guy, and he just turns around and just shoots Kenji Sahara like eight times. So Kenji Sahara falls off yeah. the ship, and he's super dead. And so, like, they are now officially killing each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, the skipper has snuck off the ship, and he has gone back out to the yacht in, like, a last-ditch effort to repair it by himself. Yeah. Okay? So, like, now, basically... So he's gone. So now... And, and and what happens is during when um, the writer murders Kenji Sahara, they get this – they like – they tackle him yeah. and force him and Kumi Muzano to, into exile into the jungle yeah. uh, on, on the island. So, um, you know, there's basically three characters left on the boat at this point. You've got the professor, you've got Akira Kobu, and then you've got Ayako. Yeah. Um, and and again, the skipper is gone back onto the yacht to try mm-hmm. and fix that. Yeah. Um, the separate first vessel that they came to the island in. Um, so, but you know, things are not going well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they 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 show um, the writer and Kumi Muzano go into the jungle and like they go into this sort of different area, and uh, all these mushrooms are like growing. And, like, it's sort of like a dank cave. There's, like, a lot of rock formations. It's like yeah. a cave, but they're still outside. But there's, like, it's it's a really gothic kind of, uh, you know... Shelter. Shelter place. And there's just mushrooms everywhere. Yeah. And um, basically the, the, that scene of them kind of being in exile climaxes with... The writer trying one of the mushrooms and being like, it's good. We shouldn't have held out so long or whatever. Yeah. And they start scarfing down the mushroom. Now, to be clear, it's a big thing at this point. Like, they can't eat the mushrooms because – and what they have been eating are roots and, like, radishes and potatoes and, like – Kelp. Kelp and then, like, turtle eggs. Uh, turtle eggs. Yeah, turtle eggs. Uh, but they're running out of all these things. Yeah. And so the mushrooms are just this increasing, like, oh, you know, there's this separate part of the island you can go to with the mushrooms, and you'll eat them, and you'll feel Huge. good. You know, you'll feel good. And you Which, never have to eat again. Right. And, you, you know, all your problems will be gone. Um, and so, yeah, that's just sort of, beca- again, the seduction element where it's like, join us. Yeah. Kirikobu leaves the, the derelict ship and goes across the island 
to back to the yacht. It's because he wants to find the skipper. Mm-hmm. Now, while this is happening, Kumi Muzuno comes back to the ship, you know, the, uh, the, the place where they've all been living, this, this huge, uh, you know, whatever, research vessel. And he finds uh, Kasai, the professor, sort of like, oh, I want to kill myself, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, or whatever. Now, since the last scene, Kumi Muzuno has gotten 50% hotter. Yes. Like, she has, like, a ton more makeup, and she just looks, like, stunningly beautiful. She's got that green uh, yeah, scarf. She, she's got the green head. scarf. So, Kumi Muzuno has become even more attractive, and she's like, the reason why I'm so hot now is because I have eaten these mushrooms. They're quite good. Um, so, the guy, she leads Kasai uh, to the mushroom lair i guess i'll call it the mushroom cave yeah the mushroom kingdom exactly (laughs) and uh he eats some mushrooms and immediately begins hallucinating about strippers Mm -hmm. uh and like the lights of like las vegas uh i mean it's not in las vegas it's uh, it's obviously like you know the ginza Ginza. so like uh yeah apparently when you eat the mushrooms you start thinking about like those things that which you lust after the most and obviously he lusts over flesh and the the bright lights while this is happening uh akira kubo is he's found the yacht and he swims to it and he finds this note that has been left. The professor, or sorry, the skipper is nowhere to be found. And um, essentially the note uh, lists all the people who are on the yacht. It's written on the side of the boat in mm-hmm. the interior. And um, it says that, you know, I tried to fix the boat myself, but it couldn't work. And I died. So... I don't know if that means that he threw himself overboard because his body is not on the ship. Yeah. It sounded like he had killed himself. Yeah. It there, seems there as though no he's other, killed himself. Yeah. Like he, he knew because he seems to be one of the most rational people yeah. of the whole voyage. And yeah. it's like pretty much you know brought up from the beginning that he knows What's up? what yeah. should be done. Um, and now like nobody's listened to him. Everything's gone to chaos. He can't solve the problem, so he can't even help himself, let alone everyone else. Yeah, so basically he sneaks away when no one's looking and kills himself. Yeah. We've seen this in other movies of this ilk. Possibly this is what happened to Fuchs in The Thing, mm-hmm. you know, or Kiefer Sutherland in Melancholia. Mm-hmm. It just gets to that point where it's like you just people start sneaking away and committing suicide. And you know that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, that's when you know you're in a bad situation. <laughs> you okay. are fucked. <laughs> um, back on the ship, sorry, the, the on the island, you know, the ship, the, vet, the research vessel, Akio... He's starting to lose it. So Kirikobu starts slapping her around. Which, which always yeah. works. Yeah. I mean, that's so I mean, like, any psychiatrist, you know, shrink will tell you that is like right. bona fide way to get somebody to yeah, listen I to mean, you. they are the only two humans left mm-hmm. and um like he has begun beating her. Like he starts like because she's hysterical and he's like just like slapping her around. Mm-hmm. So that's very striking. Um, Literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, then there's essentially a zombie siege 
from the Matango, uh, you know, stalkers, walkers, clickers, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them. And this predates Night of the Living Dead. And they are boarding themselves up in this room. And the things are, you know, breaching through windows and smashing through doors and stuff. And uh, he ends up, like, ripping one of their hands off. Yeah. Um, which he shoot, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> he, he rips like... one of their arms off at one point. It's pretty awesome. I mean, when you know, when you're looking at it, when you, you know this predates all zombie, like, modern zombie movies. Yeah. Again, including Night of the Living Dead. It's sort of like, well, maybe George Romero saw this, too, because this yeah. was, like, 1963. Because the previous zombie movies, like White Zombie or I Walked with the Zombie, um, kind of, you know, again, like Matango are not so much about the horror, but it's just about, like, the, oh, come join us, be with us, you know. But um, they didn't have the grotesqueness of, like, eating flesh or, like, having arms, you know, just come off. Yes. So, essentially... Um, here Kobu is sort of fighting them off on the upper decks and a bunch of Matango sneak underneath and, and still steal, uh, Akio mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and take her away, kidnap her. Yeah. So Akira loads up the rifle and goes into the Matango stronghold or whatever. And the mushroom kingdom, the mushroom kingdom or whatever. <laughs> and he finds everyone else who isn't dead or has killed himself is now in some stage of turning into one of these walking mushroom mm-hmm. things. And you've got a couple of different stages of, uh, you know, you've got the writer, his face is, like half of his face is just, you know, uh, this sort of green mm-hmm. fungus, and uh, and his hands are turning into fungus. You see Kumi Muzano, and finally, at last, her, her legs... Mm-hmm. are uh, turning into fungus. Her face still looks really beautiful, though. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, the makeup guys, they had a real problem on this movie designing, like, how her mutations should look because, you know, the, the internal logic that, that's set up in the film denotes that she should immediately start turning into this grotesque creature. Mm-hmm. And they were having, they were doing tests and stuff, and it just, something wasn't right. And then uh, Mr. Honda was like, well, wait a minute. Instead of having her turn into a monster, just have her get hotter. You know, just, just mm-hmm. make her more beautiful and even more seductive. Like the Matango, like, makes her into some sort of super vixen or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so, and like, the makeup guy was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And Honda's like, it doesn't matter. It's it's a visceral thing, you know. <laughs> like, it's a, you know, it's it's about a feeling or whatever. And it doesn't make any sense in that logic, but, you know... It, to make the, the, the sub, you know, theme of seduction, it makes perfect sense, you know. So, um, the yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what they ended up mm-hmm. doing. They, they ended up layering more makeup on her and, and making the already ravishing Miss, Miss Mizuno uh, even more beautiful. So you see her, but at last, in this in this last scene, she, yeah. her, her legs are starting to turn and part of her arms are starting to turn into the, into the fungus. But her head's still fine. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, and then you see, um, uh, you know, everyone else is either dead or, like, you don't really see the, the, the professor at this point. Um, or maybe you do for, like, a quick second. I couldn't quite remember if you do, but, like, but you see a bunch of other Matango in different stages of, of decay. And the, and the, there's several of the main ones, the bloaters, as I like to put them, where yeah. they're, like, huge and their mushroom tops are, like, 
gigantic, yeah. like like you know, three feet across. Beautifully you know? crafted. Yeah, and they look like full on kaiju's. Yeah, and, and that's like a full on suit, and they're they kind of, you know, it's a very menacing and and terrifying scene because there's this laughing that just gets layered on mm-hmm. the soundtrack. It's very kind of slowed down, low. And it's just like, this is horrifying. And, you know, in the middle of all this, uh, you know, Kobu finds uh, Akio. Who's eating the mushrooms. Like, he he sees her just as she's, like, succumbing and eating one of the mushrooms. She's like, oh, it's great. We shouldn't have fought it for so long, you know. Come with me. Become one of us, you know. And he's just, like, he's so disheartened. He shoots a few of the Matango, and they kind of fall over and die or whatever, but he doesn't have enough bullets for all of them. Yeah. So he just sort of, like, runs away. Or he doesn't even run away. He just, like, he's just completely, like, disheartened. And he mm-hmm. just sort of, like, walks away and, like, stumbles away, basically. Mm-hmm. He's had, like, his heart ripped out of him, essentially, at this point. He's just like, fuck. You There's know. nothing else. He's, got nothing, he's the only one left. And so he just leaves them to to their fate to become these things, and um, he goes back onto the yacht, and um, we cut back to the hospital, and he's looking out the window, and it's very sort of dark, and he says, you know, I you know I don't know how long it was, it's a few weeks, and uh, eventually I got rescued, but sometimes when I see her face, and you know, I think maybe I should have stayed there because even if we weren't human. We could have at least been together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was out on the yacht so long that uh, once I escaped the island and food ran out, and I had no choice because the mushrooms had started growing on the yacht as well. So I ate them too. And he turns, turns around, around and, like, half of his face is like a fucking mushroom now. And, <laughs> like, it's going to start all over again, yeah, you know. But in Tokyo. But in Tokyo, it's going to wipe out everyone, you know. And, he, and he's just like, people are alike all over, you know, fuck society or whatever. <laughs> and it just sort of like, uh, you know, goes to like, the last shot is just sort of panning around modern day Tokyo. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, it's a shit people for a shit culture, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, damning. Yeah. Damning uh, film of of humans. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> um, creepy. Um very well made yeah um the year after this was made um the tv show gilligan's island premiered Mm -hmm. and i i've heard i've seen some stuff on the internet where it's like yeah some of the writers were just watching matango and like yeah i really like this setup of like this these people getting stranded on this island Mm -hmm. and like each week checking back in with them i don't know if all this mushroom business and all this rape and murder and suicide. But I like the first part of it about, you know, a tour that when like a professor and a singer mm-hmm. and a, you know, farmer's daughter and like you know, a skipper. Yeah, this could work. So there there I have seen reports where it's like this movie essentially inspired Gilligan's Island, mm-hmm. which is insane. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> later on you can see the influence uh heavily in, in in modern day like zombie culture you know and this again this would have been one of the earliest zombie movies if you indeed call the Montango zombies um but specifically there's a extremely popular video game and i've, I've mentioned a couple of times but it's called the last of us it came out for all the the current gen systems uh last year in 2013 actually um and 
I mean, the enemies just straight up look like mm -hmm. some of the makeup designs from this movie. They just do, you know. So I don't know if they were studying this movie for some of the, like the designs or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's definitely it's it's there. And to the extent where if you go on YouTube, you can see people have recut footage of this movie to the music from The Last of Us. Oh. Like like that connection is there in the fan community. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like they're aware of it. So um and yeah, and by the way, The Last of Us is an amazing game. Mm. Much better than Godzilla Monster of Monsters. <laughs> um but yeah, so it's it's a great flick. It's uh Media Blasters as as released uh, a couple of different times. Mm -hmm. Um with commentary, correct? Oh, with with lots of really great extras. Um, and definitely, if you're curious, I, I suggest that that's the way to, to check it out. Um, you can still find it on Amazon. It comes in a pack with Varan and uh, the Mysterians. And that is the third film. And uh, it's the best of those three. And it's, you know, it's you should definitely check it out. If you are if you are a fan of Honda's work, if you're a fan of these monster movies, if you're a fan of, of these kinds of films or just of being scared mm -hmm. you know, in general. It's, uh, it's a very well-made, very dark film. Oh. I think there's one thing I forgot about earlier, and that was the fact that I'm pretty sure in the Iliad, I think? No, the Odyssey. I'm pretty sure, like, at one point they go onto an island and they eat, like, flowers. Yeah. And the flowers drive, like, Odysseus's men. That was Odysseus, right? Yeah, his men, like, crazy or something like yeah. that. Well, there's, you know, no. the writer, Yoshida, talks about there's legends, Japanese legends of, mm -hmm. of the happy, like, mushrooms that yeah. make you happy. And there's also the same in, in the Mexican culture mm -hmm. that he cites in the movie. Um, and, of course, the hallucinogenic, sorry, the hallucinogenic properties of mushrooms in the 60s with mm -hmm. the whole drug culture. That's an entire and perhaps the most obvious layer yeah. uh, that we have not discussed at all yeah. uh, today. But, like, you know, there's that, too. So it's like, is this, is the whole movie just, like, talking about the inevitability of the conservative sort of 50s youth scene in Japan ultimately giving away to the drug culture that couldn't be stopped in the mm. 60s, you know? Maybe, maybe not. Mm. Is, there, is there something going on there? We, you know... It's it's all up to interpretation. That's a great thing about uh, about film is it's you can make up your own mind. Um, but anyways, that's that's it for Matango. Uh, we gotta sign off here. But um, I just wanted to say thank you for listening today to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. And uh, you know we've got our. Obviously, we're on Podbean. You can subscribe to us there. We're on Facebook at the Godzilla Pod War Hour. We're on Twitter at Michael Kelly at Godzilla Pod War. So uh, we got there's a few ways, and please rate us on iTunes. If you don't like us, you don't agree with anything we're saying, that's fine. Write the review. Yeah. Um, and we need to know. Yeah, knowledge is power. Yeah, we'll make things very nuclear for you or nuclear. It's nuclear. unclear, nuclear. N nuclear or nuclear? I just say nuclear. Nuclear, okay. Nuclear. Great. Nuclear Great. vessels. Nuclear vessels. Nuclear Captain. vessels. Captain. Vessels. Vascally <laughs> uh, <Wesley> vessels. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, 
I'm for Nate Bear. I'm Mike Kelly. Thank you for listening. And for Mike Kelly, I'm Nate Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good day, everybody. We'll see you again real soon.